Hey gang, you've got Jake here from Ghastly Monstrosities. And on today's episode, let's chat a little bit about what makes a great slasher. And there's five characteristics for that. Like when I analyze most of the movies from say about, you know, Halloween 1978 up to the present time. Um, if you go out to Ghastly Monstrosities, you can find the webpage that goes into this a bit more detail called Great Slasher Characteristics. But for now, let's say spoilers are on and let's get to it. So what makes a great slasher? I found about five things when we look at most of the iconic, you know, slashers or killers in the horror movies. You know, slasher is the term you use for someone, a human, for the most part, <laughs> that goes around killing people in the movies. Um, so some examples of this would be Michael Myers from Halloween, Jason from Friday the 13th, Freddy from A Nightmare on Elm Street. There's a few more, but five characteristics. And I'll go with iconic look, signature weapon, the motive, the stylish kills, and vulnerability. So let's get into this a little bit more, starting with iconic look. Now with this one, you know, in order for the slasher to really stick in your memory, not only do they have to be memorable for their kills, but, you know, it's the fashion. <laughs> what they look like when... They were killing people. You know, some people say it's a costume. A lot of times it comes down to a mask. But let's just put it in an example. Uh, let's get an example. So Michael Myers of Halloween. He's got the white mask, the Captain Kirk mask, painted white. He's got those mechanic overalls. That really pops. You know, you remember him for it. For Jason, it really comes down to the hockey mask because I gotta tell you, other than like some flannel here and there, he always looks the same. And then Freddy, I think Freddy has one of the most iconic looks out there because he's got the fedora. You know, he's all burned up, so it's kind of like a mask, right? He's got the red and green striped sweater. And we'll talk about the signature weapon in a little bit here. But, you know, these killers have very unique looks. It's easy to identify them. And even Hannibal Lecter, who isn't like an unstoppable killing machine, Hannibal Lecter from A Silence of the Lambs is just a psycho. But, um, you know, he killed people with his own bare hand, you know, tricked them, stuff like that. But he wore that anti-bite mask. So if you remember the scenes whenever they take him out of the cell and stuff like that, they put, it, put it like a muzzly mask on him. And that really pops. So the mask and the outfit goes really far for determining, you know, if the slasher is going to stand the test of time. Now, personally, my favorite is My Bloody Valentine's Harry Warden. My Bloody Valentine is a horror movie that takes place in a mining town in the original, which was 81 or 82, in New Brunswick. And then for the reimagining slash remake from 2009 with Jensen Ackles, it took place in uh, Colorado. But he wears the mining mask, you know, that big breathing supply thing with the headlight, headlamp thing on it. Walking around the miner suit, the boots, but it was the pickaxe. So, for me, like, that is a great outfit. But I gotta tell you, though, it's kind of hard to compete with Freddy Krueger's getup. Like, I think Freddy's probably got the most iconic look out of any slasher. 
So next up is a signature weapon. And you need something that stands out. Either you gotta use it first, or you gotta use it better than anyone else. So let's just take Michael Myers from Halloween. He has that big ass. Have you ever seen a kitchen knife this bit big? I mean, let's be real. But Michael Myers is always known for using his knife. And it's kind of hard to imagine him not using his mic, to be honest. But the other thing with the iconic killers out there is Jason's got his machete. Freddy's got his knife glove. And then you've got Leatherface, who, of course, uses a chainsaw. Mind you, I gotta tell you, if he didn't use a chainsaw, it'd probably be easier to chase down the nubile young co-eds from all the Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies. I'm just saying that chainsaw can get in the way. However, iconic. Gotta take it out. But, you know, you can outrun the dude. I'm... Okay. Whatever. Moving on. Uh... <laughs> but... Uh, you know, so you've got the look, you got the mask, you got the outfit, and then you've got the signature weapon that you dole out the bloody revenge with. And that's a must. You have to have a unique weapon, and you have to use it in unique, unique ways. Now, next up is motive. And I'm going to start here by talking about The Strangers, because in The Strangers, if you haven't seen it, takes place, I think, in upstate New York. And it's about a couple, they come, they, you know, they get away for a weekend wedding. In this one, he proposes, she declines, they're all upset. And, you know, at like one or two in the morning, something like that, someone knocks on the door, asks if Tamara's home. And then the couple is stalked for the rest of the night by these three people wearing, you know, really chintzy dime store Halloween masks. And what I like about their motive is they don't have one. It's just because the couple answered the door. So no other reason to, to dole out the mayhem other than that. But in a nutshell, if you got slashers, usually the big thing for this one is because it, it's revenge-based. So let's just take Mrs. Voorhees from Friday the 13th. The camp counselors let her son drown, Jason, who comes back. And then, you know, you've got, like, Billy and Stu from Scream, and Billy was out to get revenge. But Stu, on the other hand, Stu was just doing it because um, it was kind of fun. I don't know if that's a real good motive, but, you know, and, and one of the other big things is madness. So in the case of My Bloody Valentine, one of my favorites, it was because Harry Warden was driven insane. The, the mining company didn't follow the um, safety regulations. There was a cave-in. He was the only one that survived. You know, it, it drove him mad, and then he had to get revenge. So at the end of the day, it's still re revenge, but I think you have to count, like, mental illness as part of it. And I think Happy Birthday to me from a slasher movie. This was another 80s classic. I think that dealt with madness as well, but you gotta have you gotta have a good reason to do your killing. I mean, Jason started off with revenge. Michael Myers is he was compelled to go after his family and kill them. So I don't know exactly the compulsion. I don't know if that's a strong enough motive. Um, Freddy's got motive that's revenge for his killing. But then, but here's here's the thing with a lot of the motives as the sequels roll out. 
and the franchise gets bigger and bigger with more movies, the main motivation seems to drop away. And that was the case with Friday the 13th, because it's just Jason shows up to kill now. Whoever's there, he just killed. There you go. Freddy, he pretty much killed all the Elm Street kids. So, you know. <laughs> I think by the time we got Nightmare 4, they were all gone. So, you know, this is why you need something fresh and new as the series goes on. Um, yeah, not much more to say about that one. Uh, next up is Stylish Kills. And this is another thing that really, I think, hammers home how a slasher really sticks in, in our psychology and becomes a pop culture reference. So let's take Freddy. Freddy and his dream deaths. Very creative ways. I mean, even though he's got the, the uh, glove with the blades on it, the knife glove, you know, most of his iconic kills weren't really based on that. Like Tina, from the very first, who's the very first victim in Nightmare on Elm Street, throws her, she, he still puts her on the ceiling when he disembowels her and stuff like that. And then with the other deaths, like Johnny Depp gets pulled into the bed, we get a blood geyser. You move on to A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. You've got the puppet kid, his tendons get ripped out, and then he falls to his death. There are all sorts of classic kills in A Nightmare on Elm Street. And, you know, other than the first one, it, it's, you know, his signature weapon, which is the knife glove, kind of drops away. You know, and then when we move on to the other ones, like Jason kills in various ways. We always see him walking around with his machete and stuff. He doesn't always use his machete anymore. He's more look. Um, so more recently, when I think about really stylish kills, I have to give it to the Saw series simply because of the death traps. And the whole movie is just based around what kind of machine is going to do the torturing and killing, but remember with Saw, there is always a way out of a trap, unless we talk Saw 3, which is for another subject, <laughs> on another day. But the Saw traps are amazing, and they have some really classic ones. There's like the Pendulum Death Trap. Um, let's see, oh, well, Part 3 did have that really great death trap, which was, I think they call it the Angel's Wings or something. The police detective gets her uh, ribcage ripped out. They've got the needle vat. I, there are just so many stylish ways people die in the Saw movies. Uh, I think that's what makes them stand out because you find out along the way that the motive behind Jigsaw, the, the killer in the movies, is kind of based on his, his family was the victim of just a random act of violence by, you know, a shitty person. <laughs> and, he, you know... And then he starts screaming this all up. I mean, but really, Jigsaw died in the third movie. Spoiler alert, right? <laughs> so he's got legs to show up for another, what, seven or eight films? Anyway, if you don't have really a really great signature weapon or stylish kills, you just got to amp up the gore factor. And that's what the movie series Hatchet does very well. I mean... I put a link on the website out to this one. You can see the top five kills or something like that by Victor Crowley, who is the killer in Hatchet. It's just super gory, and they have fun with it. And I think that's what you have to do if if your go-to weapon of choice um, and you don't really have an iconic look or something has to be, it's got to be Gonzo Horror. Now, next up is vulnerability. And I think this is really crucial because... I don't know about you, I'm not into unstoppable killing machines, so 
Jason and Michael lost it for me a while back. And simply because nothing takes them down. Well, we'll get to that. But for me, my favorite killers come out of the Scream series. Because they're regular folks. They get knocked down, they get bruised. This helps with the tension because you know you can clobber the killer. I mean, let's just take Billy and Stu at the end of the first Scream with stabbing themselves. You know, they get... Sydney, of course, does the offing. But even in parts two and three and four, they, you know, in the fourth one, motivation was different, but just, they, they, they could be harmed. It helps with the suspense and the final girl or final dude who's being chased by these killers, uh, you know, they can fight back and you, you know that the killer's going to get hurt. They're just normal folks. And I really think, you know, with that hope or that possibility, it makes them more interesting characters. And we didn't really talk about personality in this one. I think that's what made Freddy stand out is because he was cracking jokes. But, you know, I like it when you can hurt the killer, the slasher. And otherwise, it's just kill set pieces. And we can talk about how to make a good kill setup and set piece in a later episode. But, you know... I want some hope for the people in the movies that they can take on this killer. It's far more interesting, I think, and builds more suspense. Now, even the unstoppable death machines do have vulnerability. Jason can get thrown back in Crystal Lake, unless they change that. You never know. Michael Myers, well, he can take a lick and he keeps on ticking. I don't know anything that keeps him down unless you can contain him in a cage. <laughs> Something like that. Otherwise, he's going to keep coming for everyone. Nothing stops him. And even Freddy. He, if you remember Jason versus Freddy, Jason was, I mean, Freddy was really weak because people stopped thinking about him and killing. So he didn't have the power to go about infiltrating people's dreams and killing them. And then even with Chucky, and you, and this applies to the AI one that just came out, you can destroy Chucky. Melt him down, don't, you know burn him don't just don't put him in other doll parts right and so so that adds a part of it you need that vulnerability to your slasher so that brings me to my the end of my bit if you also think there are great characteristics of a slasher that makes them iconic comment on ghastlymonstrosities.com or just reply to this podcast and so thank you for turning, tuning in to the very first one for Ghastly Monstrosities. I'll have one coming up on Krampus in the near future. Take care.